Jesus. Let's thank the Lord for this young adult group that led us in worship. Thank you, Lord. You heard Jesus said, pick up your bed and walk. How about your pulpit? Uh, yeah. Pick up your pulpit. You know, something that blesses, really does bless my soul. I just, I get, I get tearful about it. And that is when you see a young adult group like this. You guys don't know the stories behind those faces, but I do. I know Thomas, he didn't play the piano a year and a half ago. He would have never got in front of a group of people and led worship, but there he was. He's offering something to the Lord. And I could tell you about, about each of the people standing up here, but it just, it's a joy as an older person to be able to look and say, wow, here, here's a group of younger people. They may not be as slick as somebody else, but their hearts are so right before God. They so want to worship. They so want to lead others in worship. And they're doing a great job in the back with a, a young adult group. If you would, uh, pick up your Bible, if you have it with you, and uh, turn to Ezra. Uh, that's where our scripture is from today. Ezra, the, the third chapter. And as you're finding your place there, uh, I want to tell a little joke that uh, Robert Spencer shared with me. He asked the question, do you know what the plural of y'all is? I said, no, I don't know. And he said, the plural of y'all is all y'all. <laughs> so all y'all turned to uh, Ezra. The, the, and some of you from the north may not have followed that. Um, I'm not sure, but all y'all. You know, that means everybody. Okay. Um, so, you know, Ezra, the, the, the third chapter. And as I get ready to read, let me just give you quickly the background. The third chapter, the tenth verse. You see, they're building, they're laying the foundation of the second temple. The first temple, the temple of Solomon, has been destroyed and the people taken into captivity in Babylon and now 70 years have passed and miraculously they've been delivered and they've returned to Jerusalem and they are endeavoring to rebuild on the ashes of the first temple a second temple verse 10 now when the builders had laid the foundation of the second temple of the Lord the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the direction of David, king of Israel. And they sang praises, and they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He, for He is good, He's good, and His loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when the praise of the Lord, uh, with the for the praise of the Lord. Because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. Yet, verse 12, yet many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers of household and the old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice 
when the foundations of this house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joy from the sound of weeping. Lord, we ask today that you would give us insight into your word, that we might understand both the pain of those in transition and the joy of those hoping for a new possibility. Oh, that we might appreciate what you've done. Oh, that we might praise you for what you've done while simultaneously supporting and praising you for what you will do. And we ask that in the wonderful name of the one who makes it possible. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. The children of Israel had fallen away from the Lord. They were conquered and they were taken into captivity in chains into Babylon. And they were taken there for 70 years. King uh, Nebuchadnezzar completely destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and all that was in it. All that was sacred, you see, to them. And for 70 years, Israel lived in captivity without a temple, without feasts, without sacrifices, without the rituals prescribed by the law. But God heard their cries and brought Cyrus, a, a, a Persian king, and they conquered Babylon, and lo and behold, Cyrus gave them permission to go back to their homeland, Jerusalem. And that's where our scripture picks up. 50,000 Jews left Babylon and returned to Palestine. And there we see they begin to build a second temple atop the remains of the first. And our text presents that the Jews that day, many, most of them, it says, were, were in great joy. But the Bible says that there were others who wept, it says in verse 12, with a, a loud voice. Why is that? That one group would be so excited praising the Lord while another group was so sad that they were weeping. Beloved, it was a matter of perspective. It was all a matter of perspective. The old men remembered the first temple. They remembered the grandeur and the goal and the glory. They remembered the old days. The wonders of, of Solomon's temple. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. They remembered how grand it was. That it would cost billions to, to replace it. It was so glorious. They remembered the house of the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat. They remembered the Ark and the tablets the, 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 of, of the law that were given to Moses within it. They remembered the Shekinah glory of God that filled the temple so they could not stand. They remembered the day when Solomon's temple was literally the house of God. And they realized it will never be that way again. They realized the new temple would never be the same. They could see it was going to be smaller they knew and realized uh, that, that, that it, was, it was not going to be the same. 
and their hearts were broken. The, the ark wasn't there. The mercy seat, they were gone. And this re realization, beloved, it broke their hearts. And they wept. You know, many of you sitting here today with me remember the glory days of this church and the, the glory days of, of this country. We remember it so well. We remember a day when there was great unity and, and patriotism in this country. It was a different world. There were many, in, we remember when the, the Word of God and the house of God were, were held in high regard. That, that even uh, the, the lost respected the things of God. That day is over. In many ways, that day is over. And we feel that in our bodies. It grieves us. And younger people, they don't get that. Can you say amen to that? They don't really understand that there's a visceral sense of pain. Because we remember something that was different, and yes, it was a more stable place. Better. But time inevitably passes. The seasons inevitably change. History moves on. It's true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. It's true in our day and in our history. Time moves on. On. And the old men of Israel remembered the precious things and wept. By way of contrast, in verse 11, it says, The young men, they shouted aloud for joy. What was going on that they would do such an insensitive thing, some must have said. Well, they literally... They had another point of view, verse 11. And they, the younger, praised God, giving thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. Oh, God, He is good. And His loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great voice when the praise of the Lord went forth, because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. They had no idea what the first temple looked like. They hadn't been there. They had been in captivity and bondage in a foreign land. They were probably born in that foreign land. And all of them couldn't remember the first temple. But they remembered, you see, their slavery, the difficulty and the suffering. And now they knew the goodness of God had delivered them, and they were on the cusp of something wonderful. Wouldn't it be great to believe that we're on the cusp of something wonderful? Can you say amen to that? Not just wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> they believed that something great was about to happen. An opportunity had dawned. How easy it is, beloved, to err on one side of this or err 
on the other. How easy it is for some to get caught in the past so they can't get excited about what God is doing in the present. While on the other hand, how, how easy it is to get excited about the future and fail to appreciate and learn from what God has done in the past. To be excited about being excited. What's the point? The point is, each of them had a point. Each of them had a point of view that was really legitimate. The problem came, and the problem comes when we only see our point of view. They erred, and we err when we see one side of the issue, ours. Can you say amen to that today? There's usually more than one point of view. Beloved, we cannot allow the sorrows of the way things were in the past to rob us of the joys of the future. Nor, on the other hand, can we become so excited about being excited and fail to appreciate and learn from what God's doing and done. So what happened? Well, as John Rubel sometimes says, it was one of those miracles on the verge of collapse. God had done a great thing. But it was one of those miracles that was on the verge of collapsing. The work stalled. It halted. Both squandered the opportunity that God had given them. You see, they had laid the foundation of the temple. But for 15 years, it says, they went about building their own houses. Building their own paneled houses. Serving themselves. All those who had been so excited failed to follow through. And all those who were looking back fondly failed to move forward. So what happened? Good news. God didn't give up on them. God sent a prophet. Anybody know who that prophet was? It was Haggai. Haggai. If you have a minute and you can turn, it's toward the back of the Old Testament. But the end of the story, I'll give it to you real quickly. The end of the story is that God called a prophet to go speak to them. Why did he call the prophet? Because he loved them. He wanted to bless his people. He wanted to bless all of his people, old and young. And of every flavor, he wanted them to be blessed, so he sent the prophet Haggai to them. And let me just listen. This is what he said. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts. And then he quotes what the people are saying. This people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be built. It's been 15 years. But they, says God, are still saying, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And so Haggai says, okay, 
you're saying that the time of the house of the Lord is not to be built. And then he asks him this question, verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to be dwelling in your paneled houses while this house, God's house, lies in desolation? Is that what the time is for right now? Check your heart. Check your heart is what he's saying. Verse 5, now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, literally in the Hebrew, consider what you set your heart on. You've shown, you've sown much, but harvested little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You're frustrated. It's incomplete. You're unfulfilled. Wonder why. You see, he's, he's drawing them in to a, to a dialogue. You don't, you're not satisfied. You don't have enough. You drink, but there's not enough to be full. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. You earn, but your wages are put into a purse with holes. It's unfulfilling. My life is not full and complete. It feels empty. Because your house, you see, isn't in order, God's saying, through the prophet. You put yourself first. Thus says the Lord, verse 7, consider your ways. Consider what you set your heart on. Reprioritize. Your house is not in the right order. Go to the mountains and bring wood and rebuild the temple that I might be pleased and glorified. Why would God want them to put him first? Because he's an egomaniac? No, but because that's how we're blessed in the right order. Seek first the kingdom of what? God. And all the other things will be added. And so he, he contends with them. He, he speaks to them. You look for much, verse 9. You expect much, basically. But it comes to little. When you bring it home, it's blown away. Why? You wonder why. It's because my house, which lies desolate, it lies desolate while you run to your own house. You, you live for yourself and you wonder why you feel empty. The Lord loves them. He's wanting them to have a blessed, full life. And yet he brings a drought, it goes on to say, uh, on the land. And it, it parallels what's actually happening in their spirit. And praise God, good news, verse 12. It works. Then Zerubbabel, the son of whomever, and Joshua, the son of Roland, and the high priest, and, and the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of God. Can you say hallelujah? They obeyed the voice of God. They, they got back in touch with the living God. There was a remnant that said, look, I, I may have been doing it, just has to be my way, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to God because it's empty what I've been doing. It is unfulfilling. It's just frustrating and incomplete. I want God. And so they turned to God. And what happened? Oh, it's good news. It says that the remnant turned to the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God sent him. And the people showed reverence toward the Lord, verse 13. Then Haggai, Haggai the, the messenger of the Lord, spoke 
by commission of the Lord, saying to the people, I, the Lord, am with you. You see, in response to their repentance, God gave them this assurance, I, the Lord, am with you. And there's not time to go into it, but in the next chapter, he gave them a number of promises because I, the Lord, am with you. He promised his presence. He basically says in verse 4, take courage, take courage, my heart. This temple may not be great and as great as the first one, but I'm still here with you. Verse 5, he gave them the promise of peace. Fear not, I'm in your midst. So the promise of his presence, the promise of peace. Verse 6, he gave them the promise of his power. God reminds them that he's still in control, regardless of how it appears. It may appear one way, but God, but God. And finally, he gave them a promise of his provision. You see, some of them were worried in verse uh, 8 and 9. They were worried that there wasn't going to be enough. You know, churches worry. There's not going to be enough. And they were concerned about it. And God says to them, the promise of verse 8 and 9, the silver is mine and the gold mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And the latter days of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I shall give peace. In this place, I shall give peace and blessing. My glory, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. How many of you understand that the glory of the Lord doesn't come from the size of the house? It comes from the presence of the Lord. Can you say amen to that today? It doesn't matter the house. The glory doesn't come from the house. It comes from the presence of the Lord. Is God present? Then he will radiate. He will be magnified and people will be drawn to him and changed. It's not about the glory of the house. It's not about how many people are in the house. It's about what the people in the house carry and, and, and their, their, their openness to allowing God to be magnified and glorified. just want to remind you of a couple things. I remind you today that the early church didn't have a big house, but they changed the world because they had his presence. Second, I would remind you that the early church, they didn't have a complete Bible, but they changed the word world because they had his presence. They just had part of, of scrolls here and there. They didn't have the full gospel and the, the, all the epistles, but they changed the world. Why? Because they were living epistles. They had memorized the word that they had and they were doing it. And you see, they, they experienced the, the, the inner gema of God, the energy of God, because they didn't just hear the word, they did it. They stepped out on it and it, it energized and changed them and they were used by God to change the world. Three, I remind you that the early church, they didn't have professional clergy 
but they changed the world. Can I have an amen for that? Nobody was hired. It was just elders, deacons, and people, and they served in different roles. And each, listen, each felt a part because they had a part. Do you have a part? You see, if you want to feel a part, you have to be a part. Can you say amen to that, Stephen? That was pretty good. Yeah. It's true. If you don't feel a part, find your part. That's how a church becomes dynamic and powerful. It's not just having a great preacher. It's everybody using their gifts to a common goal. Wouldn't it be great to believe that we're on the cusp of something great? That if each one of us took up our part, that we would not only be a part, but we would feel the power of God. The word is take part and you'll be blessed. Number four reminds you that the early church, they didn't need an accommodating culture to change the world. It was a hostile culture. They were persecuted, but they grew even under that persecution, and they changed the world because they had his presence. Number five, I would remind you that the the church, they didn't have an approved Bible school. It wasn't even thought of. By that time, they, they didn't know what that would have been. The, the potential leaders were equipped within the context of their faith community. And beloved, it's still the best way to equip leaders. They didn't have a worship team. Each one brought a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song. They sang Acapulco, as they say. They sang Acapulco. They sang, though, bringing their hearts to God. And there was a unity and a power. Finally, they, I remind you, the early church didn't have a, a financial war chest. They didn't have a bunch of extra money. They didn't have hardly any money. But they subsisted on radical love and willing sacrifice, sharing as any had need. And they changed the world. They didn't have a lot, beloved, but they had his presence and they changed the world all the way down through the centuries until it changed our world, your world. You see, it's come through all those ages, all those sacrifices, all those being willing to bring the grace of God to you and to me. And in this grace, we stand. I'm closing now, but i got to say something to you. I'm not interested in going to church. I'm not interested in just going to church. Are you? Just going to church. I'm interested in changing the world. I'm interested in experiencing the kingdom of God with a group of people who are unafraid. I'm interested in going for it and not just going to church. Can you say amen to that today? 
I'm interested in, in experiencing the kingdom of God. Not just talking about it. To experience the kingdom of God. See, life is too short to do otherwise. Because once you've tasted, listen now, once you've tasted of, of that grace and that glory, once you've tasted even a little bit of it, it begins to change you. You can't just do church anymore. You're ruined for the ordinary, amen? You can't just go through the motions of going to church. You want that sense of, of the presence of God and transcendence. You want that supernatural community. I'm ruined. I can't go back. I'm sorry. Life's too short. I'm not going back, John. I'm going forward. And it may be messy at times, but it's where the life is. And you know, there's a different word for faith. It's called risk. If we're not moving in some measure of risk, we as a church are not moving in faith. Can you say amen to that? If you aren't risking in your life in some way, then you aren't moving in faith. And it's not that you're not going to go to heaven. Listen now. But you're not going to get much heaven on earth. Because the Lord says in Hebrews 11, what does he say? <laughs> he says, without faith. It's impossible to please God. For he who would come unto God must believe that he, he is and that he's a rewarder of those who step out, of those who seek him, of those who are willing to risk something, of those who are willing to put skin in the game. You see, you, you're not going to get something for nothing. I'm sorry, and neither am I. We've got to be willing to suit up and show up and be willing to serve the Lord. Amen. All y'all. <laughs> All right. I got it on this. I'm down to this. This is it. This is it. <laughs> there are just three, affir four, four affirmations. Ready? I just want just, just to, can we agree? These are affirmations, okay? Number one. You ready? God uses imperfect people. I'm going to say it again. I want, I want us to think about it for a second. God loves and uses imperfect people. If he, if he didn't, how would he get anything done? So let's just affirm that. Are there any perfect people here? Can I see your hand? So, so just this is a good news. Good news. God uses, he can use us. He can use imperfect people to accomplish wonderful. People's lives can be changed even through the likes of me and you if we're willing. Number two, I've read 
the end of the story, you don't have to worry, we win. I've read the, you don't have to worry, we win. So, so, so that's, that's really good news. God uses imperfect people to do his will and to accomplish great things by the grace of God. Second, we've read the end of the story in Revelation. We, we win because he won. Third, and, and I love this. This is important to me, very important. Listen, I take great comfort. I take great comfort. I can't read my writing. <laughs> I, here it is. I take great comfort in this fact. I mean this. Irregardless of what happens to this church or any other church, the kingdom of God will go forward. Amen. The kingdom of God. No matter what happens to this church or any church, the kingdom of God's going forward, baby. It's going forward. It's going to go on, as Martin Luther said, and a mighty fortress is our God. His kingdom is forever. Forever. His kingdom is going to keep touching and and ministering, and changing life. No, no matter what form, you may try to box it in and make it your, he's, he's going to resist that. He, the kingdom is for, the, 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 the things that Jesus set in motion, they're there, and you and I can participate. The real question is, will we be found participating in the things of the kingdom? Will we flow in the river, the streams of which make glad the city of God? Will, will, will we enjoy, that's the question, will we get in on it? Will we enjoy the blessings <coughs> and the benefits of the kingdom? Or will we be found serving ourselves? Building our paneled houses. Now that's not condemnation on any of us. All of us could do more. <clears throat> but you see, the kingdom requires participation. If you're going to get in on it, <clears throat> you have to do something. And I'm not talking about just works righteousness. I'm talking about skin in the game. I'm, I'm talking about... Not waiting for somebody to come and bless me on Sunday morning. Nobody said hello to me today. Or, how was he today? You see, that's a form of churchianity. That's not the kingdom. Can you say amen to that? The kingdom. Having once tasted of it, you're willing to sell everything. Because you know that's where the life is. Almost finished. You know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> I really only have two more. This is it. Number four. A word on conflict. In the church. 
when Suzanne and I, my wife Suzanne and I, have an argument. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I shouldn't say argument. I should say in the church. I forgot I was in the church. Uh, when Suzanne and I have a disagreement, You with me, brother? Okay. Uh, when we have a disagreement and we finally kind of get, you know, get away and, and, and kind of get in touch with the Lord, you know the thing we find almost always that God's will is somewhere between my will and her will so we both have to change. Amen. You, you didn't sound like you meant that, amen? You, I can tell you didn't like that. But the truth is, that is the truth. I don't know who you're having conflict with, maybe. Maybe nobody. But often, you don't get hooked unless you got hooks. Unless you got a problem, you're not going to get hooked with that person. And most often, if you really go to the Lord... And lower your self-righteousness. That, that's important. And say, Lord, what's, you know, we'll find that God's will is somewhere between their will and my will. It's, it, so we both have to change. Could it be that that's what's happening? That God is trying to change you and them. That you might experience more of the kingdom of God. You know, in order to experience more of the kingdom of God, we have to die to the kingdom of... Isn't that right? If I'm full of self, a fight waiting to happen, I'm not going to experience much of the kingdom. Finally, I love happy endings. Don't you love happy endings? Could it be that God has a happy ending for us here at Myrtle Grove? Could it be that we're on the, the cusp of something great? Could it be that there'll be enough food for everyone? That everyone would have a purpose greater than serving themselves. I think so. I think that will happen. But the answer lies in determining, beloved, to humble ourselves and to find a place of service next to others that may even rub you, that together we might rebuild the temple walls. And so, Lord, I humbly bow my head. I know it's not my brother or my sister. It's me. If I really want more of the kingdom, I have to own my part and do my work before you. And, Lord, I pray that you would cause me to recognize that they're not keeping me stuck, that it's my own judgment, it's my own hurt and offense. And so, Lord, we ask for liberty today. We thank you for your presence today. 
we recognize we're at a juncture in the life of this church. And we're not ashamed to humble ourselves. And just as our heads are bowed and every eye closed, it's okay if you don't. But I'm going to kneel in just a minute. Not as some big religious thing, Lord, but just because somehow my flesh can't be proud when I'm kneeling. And I know some can't kneel. Physically, you just, you're not able to. And that's fine. And you don't need to eat, kneel. But I, I just want to give you the opportunity uh, to kneel. And I'm going to kneel. And Because we, Lord, we're at a, a place in this church that it's important that we humble ourselves. You know, when we're on our knees, it's hard to fall. It's hard to fall when you're humble because you're already on your knees. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before your mighty hand that you might lift us up at the proper time. We humble ourselves and we pray today that prayer that you always answer. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You always answer that prayer. It was prayed from a a, a contrite heart. There was the, the Pharisee who, who stood in all his self-rightness praying and, and you didn't hear him. But you heard the prayer of the publican who couldn't even lift his head. He said, oh God, be merciful to me. A sinner. And you ask us which one went down to his house that day justified. Lord, see if there be any hurtful way in me, in us. Because, Lord, we want more of the kingdom. We believe we're on the cusp of something great. But we have to do something. Not just others. We. Humble us. Humble us, oh God, that you might lift us up at the proper time. And Lord, it will be such a joy that the weeping will be turned to praising and rejoicing. Against that day, Lord, we pray today. And we thank you, Lord, in anticipation. You're a God of your word and of promise. And we're a grateful, grateful people today. For God is good. And His mercy endures forever and ever. We ask this in the wonderful name of our Savior who makes it possible. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand and let's, let's sing a closing song together.
stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Hold on to your hope. Your triumph unfolds. It's never failing. It's never typical of me I'm, I'm a detail man right Phil you know I forgot a detail that we have to take care of right now and I'm the fastest congregational meeting person you've ever seen watch this we need two more people for the nominating committee uh, and uh, not the search committee but for the nominating committee two people have volunteered for that position and uh, those people are Okay. One, Abby Mattis. Okay. She's the only candidate that I'm aware of. Okay. And we're looking for an additional person. So we have called a, two, we need two people for the. Total of three. No, okay. Why don't you tell them? <laughs> all right. First of all, everyone who's a member, raise your hand. Bob Glasgow is our uh, uh, secretary, if you wouldn't mind. We have a quorum. Um, we have one candidate. Abby Mattis for three positions on nominating committee. I'll entertain a motion or any nominations from the floor. 
Hearing none, I'll entertain a motion to close the nominations. Is there a second? Moved and seconded. All in favor of the candidate, say aye. Aye. Opposed? Ayes have it. Oh, good. Okay. Motion so, to adjourn. So, so basically, Duke, we're, we're going to have one more person uh, at this point on the nominating committee that nominates elders and deacons. And praise the Lord. So nominating announcement. <laughs> we have eight candidates for elder, nine candidates for deacon. Praise the Lord. We have a gracious plenty. Amen. So let's thank the Lord. Hallelujah. And now, would you turn and share God's love with somebody around you? Introduce yourself to somebody new if you would. Turn if you would and just bless the Lord. That I will rise in your name.